Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Heads of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason. I've got Stewie and Kieran both joining me for this week's episode, the first of 2023. How are the two of you doing? Yeah, good. Uh, well, well rested after Christmas. Um, just watched this movie today, so this is a good way to spend my, my Friday. Um, yeah, doing well yourself. Doing well, thanks, mate. Uh, happy New Year to you and Kieran and uh, all our listeners out there. Um, I hope they had a safe and fun uh, holiday period. I sure did. Got to see all my family, all my kids. It was uh, it was beautiful. Um, unfortunately, back at the grindstone now, but uh, fortunately, hanging with you two guys to talk about uh, absolute legend of world football. Yeah, that's right. And now, so there was some pretty sad news that was announced just before the new year, and that was that Brazilian footballing legend Pele did pass away. And so this week we are remembering him in a way by looking at a film that he featured and starred in, uh, 1981 football war drama Escape to Victory. And I thought, though, before we get into the episode itself, Stewie, Kieran, you're both big fans of the world game. In your, you know, in your eyes, in your opinion, like what will Pele be remembered for? What legacy does he leave behind? Uh, he's the first first global superstar, really. So before him, the idea of a a, a global, like a world famous soccer player that people from every country loved or admired, it didn't really exist. There were players that were that were good. Like there was probably Alfredo de Stefano was the one before him, um, who played for Real Madrid and uh, Colombia and Spain and Argentina. But um, he wasn't really beloved. He was kind of just a guy that you didn't want to play against because he was a good player. But he wasn't a guy that that everyone in the world just absolutely adored. Like he was on uh, the same as if he was on their team. And Pelé was was basically that player. He was a guy that um, he burst on the scene in 1958, scored four goals in the World Cup um, on the road to winning it. And Brazil had never won it before that. And by the time he finished, they won it three times. And um, he was basically the greatest player of all time in his era and there hasn't been another one like him since who can do just everything with the ball at full pace and athletically perfect and uh media charming as this movie shows he's got some screen screen presence but yeah i mean there wasn't really global super world superstars in any sport really they were they were sort of consigned to one country you have bradman you have like you know the baseballers in america but there wasn't someone who was just world famous and whose myth and legend traveled across the entire planet before Pele. Yeah, I think Kieran put it beautifully there. Definitely a trailblazer. Um, just uh, one of one. Uh, thing that stands out to me is winning the World Cup at 17 years of age. Um, that was such an incredible feat. Going on to win three of them, spending his entire career in Brazil, besides a little, a little bit after retirement, he came out of retirement to play in, in the United States. I guess money talks. Um, you know, and he, he had that charm. Uh, with the media, um, like Kieran alluded to, and uh, I don't, I don't think we'll we'll see another another one like him. There's a reason that uh, he's still in the conversation some some 30, 40 years after his retirement. Um, with regards to the best player of all time, um, yeah, yeah, just a, a an absolute legend. And uh, as Kieran said, he kind of heralded in the uh, the world dominance of football um, when he arrived on the scene. Very sad that he is. Uh, past 
Yeah, and I think for me, like as someone who might not have like grown up, you know, <clears throat> watching football that much and, you know, being involved with the game itself and just like everything about the game and about the sport, I think that even for me, like I could realise like the sort of like impact that someone like Pele had um, and just like the conversation around like what he was able to do and achieve and just like the sort of like hold that he has on world football and you know not only in Brazil but you know across the world and I think that you know all of his achievements and all of his accolades you know attest to that but then so do his like you know just himself like standing up as being regarded as one of the best and so I think that even for like people who don't really know the sport that well like they still know uh, the name Pele they still associate the name that person with football um, and just like, you know, they recognize that he is one of the greats. And so I think that that's a true mark of like, you know, just how much someone is actually really sort of like respected, um, you know, across the world and, you know, not just in his sport, but as a sports person himself. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, you know, what uh, Pele will definitely be remembered for as well. Um, obviously, aside from all of his feats on the football field as well. All right, well, let's get stuck into discussing this film now. And I know that we all do have some thoughts on it. But before we get to that, I'll give you a rundown on what Escape to Victory is about, a little bit of a synopsis. And so the film is set in 1942 during World War II, in which a football team of Allied prisoners of war formed uh, by former professional footballer John Colby in an agreement between him and a German camp commander forced to face a German national team in an exhibition match. Colby begins picking his team and gets them training for the game, all the while another prisoner of war, Robert Hatch, is plotting his escape with the help of British officers. When it turns out that the game will be played in Nazi-occupied Paris, the French resistance agree to help the team escape at half-time, but when there's a choice between escaping and potentially winning, uh, it changes the feeling amongst the group and of Hatch as the team draw the game with the Germans after Hatch saves a game-defining penalty kick and the crowd aids the team to escape following the victory. And so, Stewie, Kieran, as I said, I know that you both have some thoughts on this movie. Let's hear them. Well, all the nice things we just said about Pele in the uh, in the opener there. Um, <laughs> it's just a shame that he had to stink it up with this movie. Um, Ill-conceived. Just, uh, just the 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 film version of just throwing shit at a wall and seeing if it sticks. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just a just a bad bad time. And you know, for regular listeners to goals on film, I know you're probably sick of me just shitting on every movie we do week after week after week after week. But if you don't take my word for it, any other week, definitely take my word for it this week. Two out of ten for me uh, on my uh, on my IMDb. Um, just uh, definitely a tough hang, Kieran. Well, it's it's a <laughs> it makes sense on paper when it was made, right? Because you got Sylvester Stallone who's one of two Rocky movies. You got John Huston, who's one of the one of the history's greatest film directors. Like this guy made Maltese Falcon. He made um, African Queen. Uh, he made the original, um, he made Moby Dick, he made the original um, Casino Royale, the comedy version of it. Like, this guy is just a screen legend. He's just a titan of the industry. Um, he filmed um, all the footage you see. If you see Pearl Harbor, like, uh, that's him. 
any footage, of, like documentary footage of Pearl Harbor being bombed, that's him. So like he's just a guy who just dominated screen in his era. This is on the tail end of his career and his life, obviously. So you got a titan of film. You got Sylvester Sloan, who's hot off Rocky. You've got the greatest soccer player of all time. You've got the current stars of that era. And then you've got Michael Caine, who's a screen legend. It should work as well, because it's basically a combination of The Great Escape, which is a hit, and The Longest Yard, which was a hit, which is uh, the Burt Reynolds movie about footballers playing against the guards in prison. So everything in theory makes sense, but it's just totally a mess, isn't it? Like, it's like three stories in one. They don't really know what they're trying to focus on. And it just doesn't doesn't add up to much in the end. It's like even the, the ending doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, mate. It is uh, <laughs> you can you can't put lipstick on a pig. That's what I was thinking the whole time you were talking just then. You know, you can have yeah. the greatest you know filmmakers, you can have the greatest actors, the greatest sports people, but uh, it doesn't mean you can uh, you can produce anything worthwhile um you know it's yeah, two hours that <laughs> it's two hours that none of us are going to get back but uh here we are we're going to talk about it and uh you know we're going to make sure this podcast is better than a movie which is uh a low bar but we're going to do it anyway uh jace you were saying today actually um about how it's kind of difficult to define what genre the movie actually is why don't you why don't you let us know about that mate i think it sort of leads on from what kieran was um saying as well but i think the film like tries to sort of like straddle the line of being a sports film and a wartime film um in different aspects and to me like at times it felt like you know it was either one or the other or neither or trying to be both at the same time and I just don't think that it was, yeah, really defined as one particular genre or even just like, you know, combining those two genres. And so I didn't really, like, it didn't feel like a football movie. It didn't feel like a wartime movie. And so like that made it hard to, I think, sort of like properly be invested in it because I didn't know like what exactly was happening. And I think like you and I were watching it, Stewie, and like it was an hour and 10 minutes into the movie where we actually got some proper soccer as well. And, um, you know, even that, like, I think that, you know, you didn't really see anything that was happening in terms of, like, anything out on, like, the battlefield or anything like that. It was just, like, what was happening in these, like, um, you know, these camps and stuff like that. You know, you sort of got an understanding of, like, who was who in terms of, um, you know, who was involved in the war and stuff at the time. And um, But, like, it just seemed, like, too casual and too relaxed at the same time for also what you might expect a war movie to be. And so, like, when you combine that with the fact that, like, it's a football movie where, you know, the football doesn't come into it until sort of, like, the last third of the movie, technically, like, properly proficiently, um, I think that, yeah, it makes it really hard to properly uh, decide, like, what type of movie this is trying to be. And so I think for me, like, that was really difficult to sort of follow along. Like, yeah, I didn't really feel like it was either. I think there's a reason for that, though. I think that... um... Like, you, like what you're saying is 100% correctly. If you show someone the very first scene of the guy escaping the prison camp and getting shot with a machine gun by the Nazis and you ask them what this movie is about and then show them the last scene of Pelly's bicycle kick, they're not going to think they're from the same movie at all. Like they don't feel like they're from the same not genre, movie, director, star. Like nothing about that feels the same. But like when you say it was no soccer till the end, it didn't feel like that. That's kind of still what Stallone was doing at the time. He'd done that with Rocky 
and Rocky Two, which was Rocky One. If you showed them any sort of scene leading up to the final fight, it's about a guy who works for the mob, breaking thumbs and can't make ends meet, and he's trying to get this girl to like him. Like he's got nothing to do with boxing, but that movie works for whatever reason. It just works. The script's better, like basically. And Rocky Two is about him trying to find a job. He doesn't want to be a laborer anymore. He's burning through all his money from the first fight. It's not about boxing till the last ten minutes. So I don't blame him for thinking this would work for a third time, but it, a third time is not a charm for him. It just doesn't work. And obviously he knew that because when it came to Rocky Three, he changed up the the um the formula quite a bit. But yeah, you're right. Totally, it's just. A mess. If like the first five minutes is a guy getting machine gun caught in barbed wire, and the last few minutes is people celebrating as if, as if none of that, you know, as if they're two equal things. Like like the ending of the movie makes the start of the movie resolved. It doesn't. They're still caught by Nazis, and they're still going to get machine gun if they go out at night. Like it's the movie doesn't make any sense. I'm glad you brought up Sylvester Stallone there, Kieran. Um, I don't hate the men. I love oh, Rambo. Like I love Rocky. I'm a regular. I'm a regular guy. I like anyone else across the globe. I, I've enjoyed his performances on screen, to part. But uh, I have to say that this is ten out of ten. His worst performance. It's yeah. just horrible. Uh, he's annoying as well, and not in the way that you get in some movies where they start off annoying. And then they kind of weasel their way in. And by the time the end of the movie comes around, you, you're sort of rooting for him. You know, when he got bloodied in the first half of that soccer match at the end of Escape to Victory, I was just rooting for him to put the boots in a little bit more because he was just an <laughs> unlikable character in this movie. Yeah. And like for a while, it takes a detour of him trying to bond with that resistance woman at the, in the house. Thanks. No, merci. Look, lady, I just said thanks, no offense. We are both on the same side, aren't we? Please. Well, I just wanted to talk. It's been a long time since I've talked to a woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? Parlez-vous English? I understand you very well. Good, then why don't you sit down and we'll talk? Hatch, my friends call me Hatch. No. You don't want to be my friend? I didn't want to hear your name. And now that I do, I don't want to hear anything else about you. The less I know, the better it is for you. And for you? And for me, too. My being here has put you and your friends in a tough spot. Is that why you're mad? I'm not mad. But being in a tough spot, as you call it, is where I choose to be. How do you feel about me being here? How do I feel? Mm -hmm. I feel responsible, hopeful. When I get word that someone I sheltered is safe, then I'm happy. I can forget them. But when I hear that they've been cut or killed, then I remember everything. I remember their face, their voices, what they said about their parents, their child, their pets. And I mourn for them. I don't want to mourn for you. Well, you're safe with me, Renee. How? Well, I'm uh, an orphan, a bastard. I have no parents, no money, I'm not married. No children. I don't even have a pet. And anything I might say in my sleep to the contrary can't be held against me. Do you live here alone? No. Nope. Are you married? He got killed the first week of the war. I'm sorry. Who do you live with? No, with Francois. Is that your boyfriend? 
It's late. I'll have him move out of his room so he can sleep there. Wait. Uh, you don't have to get Francois up. Uh, I don't want to cause any trouble. I can sleep here on the couch. My son, Francois. It just takes that weird, and like Stallone's notorious for rewriting his own movies to give himself better dialogue and better scenes. Because he's a good screenwriter. And he's notorious for taking scripts and going, I'm going to fix this up, I'm going to fix that up. So he must have put that in there to try and, I guess, with a John Huston movie with Michael Caine, he would have thought he can write himself an Oscar scene somewhere in there. Mm. It's just dog shit. He's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's so... jokes flat. He's, yeah. Apparently, yeah. he wanted to be the guy who scored the winning goal. Like, he wanted to run up from goalkeeper and do it. And, um, all the oh. players in, in the cast nixed that idea and said, you can't, it's just Pelé is going to score the goal. You can't do it. Wow. That says a lot about the man that, uh, you know, he's sharing the screen with uh, perhaps the greatest of all time. And he's like, no, 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 no one's going to buy that. I need to score the winning goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that we'll definitely get into talking about Sylvester Stallone a bit more uh, later because there's a lot to discuss about him, especially. But just finishing on the reasons why I did or didn't like the film, um, I think also for me, and like, you know, we mentioned the start of the movie as well. Um, you know, like everything in the movie to me, like seemed eerily quiet. And so I think that like, for me, like important aspects of a film do include the cast, it includes the storyline, it includes the script, it includes the imagery and everything. But I think like such an important aspect of the film as well is the music, the score, the soundtrack. And in this movie, it was lacking. And I think that I can understand also why maybe, because like, you know, especially in the scenes of people escaping, they want it to, they want you know, it to be as quiet as possible because the people escaping, like, they don't want to make any sound. They don't want to be recognised, noticed or anything like that. Um, and so, like, I can understand it maybe in that way, but the scenes also, like, went on for too long. And you and I were talking about that last night too, Shui. But, like, you know, and so if you combine those two where you have long scenes with nothing, like, in the background, maybe, like, some dogs barking or whatever, but you know, uh, like, you know, him sort of trawling through mud or something like that. I just don't think that was really enough. And so you needed something there. And I think the only sort of music that we got was, you know, even, you know, the second half of the match um, when, you know, it was building up to be a bit bigger, you know, they were scoring all these goals. And so, you know, it's sort of like the cliche of building up of music to, you know, get to some sort of, you know, moment that was going to ha be happening and stuff. And so I think that, yeah, for me, I think I just would have liked the uh, score to be a bit more uh, used in this movie. Um, I thought that, you know, the long drawn out silences just didn't do uh, a lot for me, sort of like keeping my attention focused on the movie. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned the score because it's by Bill Conti who directed the the Rocky, who, who did the score for the Rocky movies. So the difference between them and this is massive because those movies are famous for the score, and this one it's it's barely there, like you said. So yeah, it's it's weird. Just the, again, it's just a, like he's another one that really should have made this movie pop and and didn't. So all the, all the parts of this movie are there to make a good movie. It just doesn't work at any level. Yeah, just uh, even outside of the score, just um, I don't know how to describe. I struggled to describe it last night when you mentioned this, mate. But just the you said the ambience of the movie, and I just mm. said it needs some of that fucking Dolby in there just to give it that baseline sound. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it or whatever, but it sounded like it was. Uh, it just sounded like a home movie a lot of the time 
with uh with you know just people chattering away in the background and you can hear cars in the background and dogs barking and yeah yeah, yeah it really it really took you out of the movie it, i think this, in my this opinion. is a case of a man in his 80s telling a story and that's what it really is so it's a, it's a, it's an old man trying to tell you a story that he's not all that invested in either he's just telling you a story and he's just kind of yammering on a bit like grandpa simpson i think that's why it drags on a lot <laughs> All right, well, uh, before we get to the references to history, I think that we've also alluded to it in terms of like, you know, looking at John Huston um, and his directing um, and the fact that, you know, this movie might go on for too long. Um, and so we've all sort of like made mention of that. Um, this was one of John Huston's final turns as a director, um, but he actually admitted that he hated the movie and admitted that he only did it for the paycheck. And so that, you know, might be telling in terms of just like how much like effort he might have put into this. And so obviously that comes with the final product. And so much of that also is that CBS actually edited 20 minutes from this film for its 1983 network television premiere. Yeah, that sounds about right. You could you could take out um, 20 minutes at least of this movie. The whole thing was to loan running away with the results could have been done real quickly. It doesn't, that was so dragged out. It's so pointless too. They send him out and they send him back again. Like, what's that there for? Like, just have him try and escape and then change and then not work. And then he has to start again and then change the plan. There's no need to have him escape and then spend time with these guys. I know they have to have the plan for him to break him out of the stadium, but that could have been done with a couple of lines of dialogue. You don't need to have a whole 20 minutes of the movie devoted to Stallone trying to catch trains and speak French. And that's just all designed to give him some scenes because he's Sylvester Stallone and he's the the hot new guy in Hollywood at the time. I, was, I asked Jace this question, right? Yesterday, Karen, I'm going to ask you the same thing. Given the appropriate editing software and given the full cut, final cut of the movie, could you edit it down to something watchable? Do you think? We could get it down to 70 minutes. 70 minutes is all this movie is. 70 minutes watchable yeah. though? Would it be yeah. a movie that you could watch and have yeah. like a well, distinct beginning, middle and end? If you give me all give me all the footage that was shot, right? Mm. I'm gonna make ninety minutes of this. So simply, I'm gonna make an hour of it, just highlights of the soccer game, mm -hmm. and then yeah, about forty minutes of it, the, the lead up to it, and that's that's all you need. I think the longest yard does something similar. Like the the, the longest yard, the Burt Reynolds movie is mostly the football match and mostly the football. Yeah, and mm. I don't know. I haven't seen the Mean Machine, the Vinnie Jones re remake of it, but like. Yeah, longest yards pretty just it's mostly the football match because like Jason said at the start, I don't think they know what this movie is supposed to be about. I think Lester Lone got his hands on it um, on the script. It just became even more modelled because he wanted to be a serious Oscar-winning star who's also an action hero. So yeah, <laughs> but the story of how the movie came to be made is absolute bananas. And yeah, let me know when you want to talk about that because it doesn't. Yeah, it it makes sense when you when you know. Well, uh, Jason, just uh, just keep that in mind with all the money that the huge success of this podcast is making um when we've got enough to acquire the rights to the footage of uh, escape to victory we'll bring out a uh, a goals on film edit that uh, is actually a watchable movie maybe we'll try and get sylvester stallone that oscar he was uh, he was gunning for 45 years ago all right we'll do that <laughs> Yeah, Kieran, we'll go into references to history now. And I think a large part of that is how this film came to be because it is a little bit similar to some uh, events that actually played out in real life. So why don't you tell us about it? 
Uh, I'll start off with actually how this movie got made because I think it, it needs an explanation as to why it exists. And it exists by, by dumb chance, right? So with his Rocky money from Rocky 1 and 2, Stallone went to buy a house, as you do when you've got new money and you're an actor. So he goes to buy a house in Malibu. And he, he, the house is owned by this guy called Freddie Fields. And if you watch the movie, Freddie Fields is the first name to come up in the credits produced by a Freddie Fields production. Never heard of the guy. I don't know what else he's done. He's probably done something, some TV shows or something, but he, he's not a big name producer. He shouldn't, definitely shouldn't be on a, on a marquee with, with John Houston. So this guy owns the house that Stallone was looking to buy. And he was chatting to him about movies because that's what you do when you meet a movie star. And thought, now's a good time then to give him my script. Stallone read the script, thought he could do something with it. And three days later, he said he'll do it. And then went and found John Houston to direct it. Um, it's, it's basically just as dumb a reason the movie, to make a movie that, as I've ever heard. Like, I was trying to buy a house and the guy get, forced me to read his movie script. I mean, it's, on paper, it should work again, but it just doesn't. But that's, that's the way the film got made. Um, so do you get a discount on the house, Kieran? I don't even know if he bought it or not. Like, I guess he must have. <laughs> You wouldn't make a movie with a guy without buying his house, would you? Like, I, I imagine that'd be make for some pretty awkward uh, meetings afterwards if you didn't buy the house. Yeah, but there were actual games of soccer played between POWs and and um and occupying armies in, in history. So there was especially in, in the Ukraine. In uh, so several members of Dynamo Kiev uh, played against a Ukrainian public government set up by the German military, and after they beat the team from the local German air force. The league was disbanded so um there is there is historical prison for this movie and uh yeah several of the team members were arrested by the gestapo and four were executed so it's not you can see why they thought they could make a movie out of that because it did happen but the movie they made was fucking dumb basically <laughs> well put, well put. <laughs> So you know, in that real life example, in that real life example that you that you mentioned there, Kieran, right? Yeah. Um, it, there was real stakes to beating these guys. You know, obviously, it's fucking World War Two. You're you're a prisoner of war, yeah. and you know, the, the four players did you say got executed? Four players Arsons? executed. Yeah. So I guess when when it, like the whole premise of of the Nazi Party was that they were superior to everyone. So if you beat them in a soccer match, you have to go. So I guess it's what happened. Uh, there's not a whole, obviously there's not a whole lot of documents about it. Gestapo didn't keep, keep documents of all their war crimes. But um, I mean, on, on the surface, it's a fairly compelling story. It sounds like an easy movie to make and, and one that would be a bit of a, a tearjerker. But it- Well, th- this is what I'm getting at, right? They, they missed a big, big part of this movie then because yeah. there was no stakes um the nazis were actually portrayed as you know like they were clearly evil but uh they're not so bad they're good they're the ones that are okay because they played soccer at some point it it just yeah it blows my mind because you give that real life scenario and you do think right you think okay there's some bones there we could probably make something from that but when you cut out a completely massive part of it um yeah, yeah, it's just bizarre. Anyway, that just struck me when you were uh, when you were saying that, Kieran. I, I, I can't, I can't. Put, like, if I can see it, surely the people at the time who were making the movie can see. You know, okay, we need a 
make this just a little bit more serious and and, yeah, and, it, and and give people some stakes to invest in. It needed to be a real straight down the line drama, sports drama. It didn't need to be an adventure movie with with um with like a catchy theme at the end. It didn't like it needed to be more about what the purpose of them playing was. And it's not not even about them having fun or getting a break from, from, from the war. It's more it should have been about what what really happened where it was about resistance and about showing the getting a win over the, the occupying army for a morale boost for the people that that you're representing. And that's like extreme, extreme, extreme version of what, what team sports is about, what sports franchises are for to represent where you're from and to give the town you're from a sense of pride. And that's the most extreme possible version of it. And it's it's a it's a documented piece of history that that this movie decided wasn't interesting enough, but sort of Sloan traveling by train through the French countryside was, and uh, I guess like they would have they maybe there's one version of the film where it was like that. And if they well we can get Pele, he's not really Ukrainian or English. How do we fit him in? Well, we have to make like a mix of yeah. Well, they made him. They made him from fucking Trinidad, Trinidad. right? Where'd you learn to do that? When I was a boy. In Trinidad. On the streets with the oranges. How'd you like to play football against the Germans? Why not? Yeah, because South America was out of the war. For oh like... my God. Yeah, it's well, just. It was... You could see they knew there were things that were serious. Like when they get, when they asked for the, the the Eastern European POWs to join the team, and they said the Germans say we can't because they're not people. Like you mm. can tell they know that there's a serious thing going on, mm-hmm. and they just went too heavy for this movie. But you yeah. can't make a movie without about Nazis. That's not an Indiana Jones movie, and then make it light. Exactly, you, can't, no. you just can't do it. You, you either got Nazis in the movie, and they're the villains, or you don't have Nazis in your movie because you can't. This is almost both sides. That there are very fine people on both sides. Thing it's it does it does the the good the good Nazi thing that I don't it sits uncomfortably with me, and I think it's a cowardly way to make a movie. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you and I uh, spoke about when we were watching it, Stewie, was um, when they were playing the German national anthem, and so we were speaking about like whether that was Germany's national anthem uh, still, or you know, especially like at the time and. Um, I we researched it at the time, and yes, the anthem that they played in this movie um, was the real German anthem that they've had since 1922, I believe it was, um, up until now as well. And so that's all true. But another aspect of that scene of the playing of the national anthem, anthem we saw um, a sort of German officers sort of stand and salute. Um, and so SS officers are in black uniforms. They give the Nazi salute. And Luftwaffe officers in grey give the standard military salute. Um, this whole interaction or this whole scene is correct, um, so long as the events took place prior to July of 1944, which we've established that it does take place in 1942, um, when the Nazi salute was imposed across the whole uh, Wehrmacht. And so, you know, yeah, so definitely prior to 1942, you would have some uh, officers you know, giving the Nazi salute or giving the standard military salute until 1944 when they just went with the one. Yeah, right. I was wondering in that scene, um, I don't even think I said anything, but I was wondering in that scene why some of them, you know, giving the Nazi salute and why some of them, some of them giving the military salute. So, yeah, that's all. I'm, I'm glad you cleared that up for me, man. Thank you very much. 
I'm fine with that being accurate, but I think if you're going to make a movie about Nazis as well, I don't know why this is the movie trying to make the point that not all the German soldiers were technically Nazis. I don't know why. You know, maybe they are just trying to be accurate, but it's like it's a weird point for this movie to be making. And they seem to they seem to labor it quite a bit that not everyone who was on the German side was technically a Nazi. But I don't think that makes much of a difference if you're being invaded by them. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, they were pretty keen to nail down that point um, about the salutes and uh, you know how they all they all weren't Nazis. But uh, when it comes to death, just the one death will be fine. Thanks. Right at the start of the movie and with no context, um, it's an interesting hill for him to die on. Yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting point for them to keep making. And I know John Huston's not a Nazi; he clearly is not. But um, it's he must have been friends with some Germans or something in his life. I mean, he's an old man by this point, and he must have wanted to make that point subtly in the movie. I, well, that was Stallone did, but I don't really see why he would want to. The other reference to history that I found, or you know, sort of clicked when I was watching the movie to look up, um, was the head-to-head um, of Germany and England soccer teams at the time. And so I think that we get a, a, a conversation, I think it's between the German soldiers, where they say that Germany has never won against England. Verstehen Sie was von Fußball? Ich habe einmal für Deutschland gespielt, Herr Lorz. Und Sie haben gewonnen? Leider nicht. Aber wir haben uns verbessert. Wir hätten vielleicht die Weltmeisterschaft gewinnen können. Tatsache ist, dass wir in all den Jahren England nie geschlagen haben. And so I saw, I heard that, I looked it up, and that is entirely correct. Um, and so up until that time, or you know, even well past that time, but um, you know, they'd had uh, three games. They'd played three games against each other. The first was on the 10th of May of 1930. That was a 3-3 draw. And then the two games after that, one was in 1935, the other was in 1938. They were all uh, wins to England. And England had traded all those victories in the 30s for, you know, a penalty shootout victory in the 90s or 2000s against Germany. So... Must be since England beat them in the World Cup final in '66 that that Germany's had the wood over them. Really, like that. that must have been the turning point between the two sides. Yeah, so uh, England won the first eight of their meetings, um, and have only won two, three, four, five, six, seven since. Yeah, the, the Germans. It's fine. That's just what happens in football. We're moving now into uh, asking how well this film depicts the sport. And so we've given a couple of references. We've referenced a few uh, real-life players who had roles in this movie, obviously none bigger than Pele, um, but there were quite a few others as well. And, you know, in terms of, you know, just how it was played out on screen, like, you know, I feel like it was pretty realistic in terms of the nature of the gameplay. Like, it wasn't, like, that fast either. Um, but I think that in terms of having actual soccer players, like it paid off in a big way and like, especially in that final scene in that final game. And so I think that, you know, when you have that um, and yeah, we'll get into like each of the individual players, I think as well. Um, I think that when you have that, like they obviously know what to do, um, you know, and maybe it'll help like actually Michael Caine's character didn't really do much, I think, thought on the football field as well. And then, like, even Sylvester Stallone, like, he was, like, back there, you know, just going to goals. We don't want you in the middle of the field ruining passes or anything like that. And so I think that even maybe that came into it. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, having 
uh, actual soccer players paid off and uh, we got the product that we did. But in terms of uh, yeah, how well it depicted the sport, what did you guys think? Listen, it's one of the saving graces of the of the movie. I think the actual sport is not too bad. It's filmed in a way that kind of makes it hard to judge, um, you know, how well it's been choreographed. But since we've watched the movie, um, I have since learned that Pele did help choreograph the soccer scenes. So I imagine that um, that probably added to the to the realism. I think having some professional footballers um taking part in the scenes definitely helped you're spot on about michael kane and sylvester stallone michael kane did not do a lot except to yell at sylvester stallone when he let goals in in the first half um uh, which was very funny the germans four nil this guy's normal yeah Hey, 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 but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what you think, Kieran. Um, but I I kind of thought that uh, the soccer scenes were pretty decent, and that along with the performance of Michael Caine is uh, what saved it from being the lowest ranked movie in my in my IMDb. <laughs> I think um, when I first watched it as a kid, um, I thought the soccer scenes were slow. But now that I'm older and I've actually watched a lot of the games, as many of them I came from from that era of like the 50s, 60s, uh, Pele's era. Um, that's kind of the pace the game was played at anyway. There's a lot of more one-on-ones, one-on-twos. It wasn't like the full full team press that you see now with everybody charging as one. It wasn't played at full throttle pace because they just weren't the athletes they are now. Um, I think sports science wasn't there. The game was just a lot slower. So if you look at it and compare it to footage from the time, say close-up footage of Pele dribbling and footage of him dribbling in this movie, it's, it's fairly comparable and it looks all right. I think it suffers from the same problem that a lot of football movies do where you don't really know, like, the scope of it on the field. But um, they do a lot of over-the-head over shots, like sort of grandstand shots behind the goals when, they, when they're attacking. And that gives you, when the Germans are attacking in the first half, especially, it gives you a good indication of where the ball is and what they're doing for most of it. It's better than, far better than goal at, at giving you some sort of context to where the game's at and, what time of the match it is. And apparently when the referee or the, the announcer, sorry, says there's 15 minutes left to play in the match, there's 15 minutes left of the movie. So yeah, it does give you a better sense of the game than most football movies do, including Bennett like Beckham really. But having, I think the Germans were played by Ipswich at the time and the, the allies were a bunch of all-stars. Having actual players, I think I can imagine that a lot of it was just kick around and muck around and see what happens. Don't hurt anyone. I think that's probably the way a lot of it was filmed because it looks fairly haphazard. And yeah, I think it feels like football of the time. Slower, heavier ball, heavier boots. It looks realistic to me. Put it in black and white. I couldn't probably couldn't tell the difference between Capelle then and some of his actual footage. Yeah, just uh, on your point before about Michael Caine, uh, Stewie, um, Osvaldo Ardils, um, he was one of the football stars that were in this movie. Um, he actually commented about Michael Caine's soccer skills, saying that they were awful and that he couldn't even run 20 yards. And so <laughs> I think that tells you, uh, you know, how much of uh, that talent that Michael Caine he had possessed. To be by the time this movie was made, though, like he had to be, like he was well past his physical peak, Michael Caine, in the 80s. <laughs> in terms of, uh, yeah, the international soccer players that were, Real players, um, you know, in real life, they were 18 um, in all in the movie. Um, and they appeared in both, you know, acting roles 
sports uh, action as well. Um, and so I'll run you through a bit of them. Um, and so we obviously have Pele um, as Luis Fernandez, England's Bobby Moore um, plays uh, Terry Brady, Argentina's Osvaldo Ardiles plays Carlos Ray. Um, there's an Irish uh, player named Kevin O'Callaghan um, who plays the goalkeeper, Tony Lewis. Um, that's just a couple of them. And I only stop there because I do have a fun fact about Kevin O'Callaghan. Um, he obviously played the young goalkeeper who has his arm broken um, in this movie. And I, that was another part of the movie that just like didn't make sense to me. It was just like, hey, you know, Sylvester Stallone's our goalkeeper. Our keeper's got a broken arm. And then, hey, keeper, we're going to break your arm. One of my men is in the punishment block in solitary. I can give you a trainer. You don't need him. Hatch is my goalkeeper. The American? No. Tony Lewis is your goalkeeper. He's broken his arm. When did this happen? This morning. Put someone else in goal. Hatch is my best man. I thought the idea was to give us a chance. This is the idea. If the camp doctor verifies this broken arm, you may have the American. Thank you. Well, Tony, try and make it a clean break, will you? I'll try. I won't even get to see the game, will I? Sit on your bed. Put your arm between those two. actually never played as a goalkeeper professionally. Um, instead, he was a winger uh, with Millwall, Ipswich Town, Portsmouth, and obviously the Island, Irish national teams. What would you prefer, to have your arm broken like that or be forced to watch this movie again? <laughs> just the fact that we're all giving a pause to decide. Like that or like just broken in general? Because if I, like, I fell over and broke it incidentally, mm, I can handle yeah. that. So, to like know it's being broken... <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. it's like you either know you're going to watch this movie again or you know your arm's going to be broken. <laughs> I guess your arm being broken is over a little bit quicker. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> it's broken. You got the cast on your home. You know, yeah. have to go two days off work, some painkillers. <laughs> you can probably watch this movie and enjoy it with some painkillers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got to yeah. go with the broken arm and some painkillers over watching this movie again. <laughs> No, I'd, I'd probably go with the broken arm too. But I mean, I'd probably even like question, you know, your question, Stewie, in terms of like, you know, do you need to be paying attention if you watch it a second time? <laughs> um, yeah, just be on the background, then, you know, it's a win win sort of because you still yeah. need to the movie, well, I guess. Chuck, chuck it up, make a poll on Twitter. We'll find out from yeah. the listeners, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's real obvious that Johnny Houston wasn't paying attention when he was making this movie. He's probably counting his money. Was going, yeah, right, take, take three, four, whatever. Just keep going. And call it All right. Well, we'll get into the cast list now. And 
I think there's only a couple that I probably need to mention. Uh, and we've obviously, you know, talked about them in a bit of detail already, but we might go more in-depth discussion about them. Um, and so we had Sylvester Stallone as Captain Robert Hatch, Michael Caine as Captain John Colby, Pele as Corporal Luis Fernandez, and Max von Sydow as Major Carl von Steiner. Um, and so we obviously, yeah, I think like, and I think in like ensemble movies like this, where, you know, especially in like soccer movies that we've found in the past as well, like we have a lot of a supporting cast. Um, there's a lot of, you know, just the British officers as well. Um, but I feel like these four are the main four um, that we get. And so, you know, with these people in mind, with anyone else in mind, what did you think of the cast list overall, how they played their characters and just their portrayals? Max von Sydow is one of these actors who's always looked about 100 years old. Um, he looked 100 years old when he made this movie. He looked 100 years old when he made um, Judge Shredd in 1995, again with Sylvester Stallone. So I think he was in Force Awakens as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was. He looked about 100 years old in that too. He's just always looked that old. But in this movie, they say uh, Colonel von Steiner played for West Germany in 1938. That's like three years before this movie is supposed to take place. So, like, how old was he when he was playing in the World Cup? He looks ancient. Like, no, no, he looks good for an old man. He's a movie star, but he doesn't look like he could have been playing the World Cup three years before. Absolutely not. Um, as far as the rest of the cast goes, as I alluded to earlier, I think... Um... Michael Caine was uh, really good in this movie and uh, he's one of the few reasons that keep this movie watchable. Um, what's his character's name again? John Colby. 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 <laughs> yes. Uh, Michael Caine as Colby was, uh, was uh, very, very good. Um, Sylvester Stallone was just, just trash. Um, real bad. Um yeah. What was the the German officer Max von Sydow, the guy from Yeah, Max von Sydow. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. He, I, I thought he was good. Um, you know, there's nothing you can do when you're given a you know a character that is a Nazi to play, and you're told to act not like a Nazi throughout the movie. So that's you know that can't be helped. Um, yeah. You know, the football players did their thing. Uh, really, I, I incredibly given how much of I've hated this movie. I can't really say too much bad outside of the Stallone stuff about the cast. I think most of them, you know, they they do the the average of what you expect them to do. So yeah, I thought Pele was, was good too. Thought yeah, was... I, you know, it's interesting. I watched it as a child as well, um, and I remember Pele being in it a lot more. But uh, he's in, you know, what, two scenes before the game? And then in the game, he gets an injury that he, that he magically, you know, recovers from in the second yeah. half. Um, That's all needless, isn't it? Just like yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Talk about the goals on film cut. We will uh, get rid of that whole part, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I thought Pele was good. I thought, I thought all the soccer players were good. Um, yeah. It's... Uh, it's <laughs> It's just a shame. What's the name of the, the, the guy that directed the movie again? John Houston. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of the uh, the blame lays at his feet um, for the for the absolute dumpster fire this movie became. Yeah, he clearly didn't care. Like doing ten minute long scenes and yeah. Um, I think I, I blame Stallone really. Like if you put this in the hands of 
of someone who's not writing with their ego or mm-hmm. rewriting with their ego, then you make you got Pele, who's a real life superhero. You make him the hero of your movie, whether you can act or not. You make him the guy who who, you, who shows up at the end and, and wins the game. You, you make the movie more about him than, than it is. He does show up and, and score the goal, but I think you need to you need to, you've got to play that the audience knows has a certain aura, and you mm-hmm. underuse that in favor of Stallone learning how to be a goalkeeper, which is not the most glamorous job in, in, in football. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's clearly made by people who don't understand the game because if, if you understood the game, you'd have you'd have the movie centered around a star player, which is what the, the Longest Yard does really well. All the versions of the Longest Yard do that. Like even the Adam Sandler version makes it about him because you know you got a you got a gunfire. That's who the sport's about. So every audience member watching this guy will recognize Pele and Bobby Moore and Osvaldo Aldiles, and they'll recognize that Pele is the greatest of everyone. Mm-hmm. If the movie's well, not about him, what are we watching, really? Uh, this is an excellent point, right? I, I, and I understand why you might have the, some hesitancy of, of making Pele front and center of, 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 of a movie, okay? But you've got Michael Caine there who's, you know, he's actually great in this movie. So you've got him who can carry Pele to the foot, carry him through the dramatic stuff till the game starts and then build the whole game around Pele. Yeah. And you don't need Stallone. You don't need heaps of the other shits that happens in the movie. Yeah. 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 I think, I think. uh, You make the movie about Pele who doesn't want to play. He just wants to keep his head down and get through without, and then Michael Caine convincing him that he has to do this to beat the Nazis on the field. And he's like, oh, I just want to do my, serve the war out and go home to my family. He's going, no, you have to do this. And he has to convince him that it's worth it. And that's your movie. Like, mm-hmm. whatever the hell Stallone was trying to make, that's not that's not a movie. That's the great escape. But then they reverse the escapes. He goes back again. It's pointless. That's all shit. It should yep. be really simple. And it should be about, because the audience is going to see Pele and go, that's Pele. There's no, might as well name him Pele. Like, you might, why, why say he's from Trinidad? Just name him Pele. Say he's from, he's, he's a refugee, whatever. Just, you, everyone knows who he is. Why pretend that he's not the greatest player in history and pretend he's some guy who played with Oranges in Trinidad? And it doesn't make any sense, the options they made for this movie. The, the, the decisions they took are all wrong and it should have been a really streamlined, not even a movie about a guy who doesn't want to play soccer and Michael Caine talking him into it. That would have ruled. That would have been cool. I want to watch that movie already. <laughs> well i think that we've got our uh, idea for you know a soccer movie to get made that uh you know the prompt and i'll ask you later but uh yeah i think in terms of like the cast for me i think that as much as sylvester stallone seemed to be like the main draw card of this movie like first name listed on the poster um and you know like obviously with all of his success in the late you know 1970s and leading into this movie like you know he was seen to be the big actor but you know as we I think that I'm just going to touch on like a lot of the points that you guys have said like you know like so Sylvester Stallone's character seemed really annoying like he wanted him to <laughs> properly like get kicked in the face he wanted him to like you know miss that penalty it was just like you wanted everything bad to happen to him and there was no arc of him becoming a good guy and like, you know, and it made, you know, the character really unlikable um, yeah. in every sense and, like, every scene that you saw him in. And, you know, there was just nothing about him that you could really, like, connect to or, like, want him to do well. Like, you know, like, you know, 
I didn't even want him to probably like, you know, escape or anything like that. I was like, no, you stay there. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But like, honestly, like it just like every single bit of dialogue that he, you know, that came out of his mouth, every single action that he did, it was just like, you're trying too hard. I don't even know why you're trying too hard. And it's just like, it was a mess. It was like really uncoordinated, um, just everything about Sylvester Stallone and, um, you know, in this character, Patch. So, yeah, I, don't, I didn't really like Sylvester Stallone in this, um, you know, as much as we sort of come to understand him um, being like, you know, an icon of film, I still, I still believe like he is, but I feel like this movie you know, he might just want to, like, forget about this as much as, like, he tried to change everything. I think that, you know, this is a movie that he might want to forget. This is a movie that I think Sylvester Stallone fans might want to forget that he's in. Um, yeah, because he just wasn't that great. This isn't even close to his worst movie, though. Like, uh, I was going through with a friend the other week about the 90s guys were saying, he said that Stallone had a better filmography than Schwarzenegger, and like, we talked for the next 20 minutes about that being just a, a bullshit statement. It's ridiculous. He doesn't. Like, um, when you go side by side, we worked out that it's Schwarzenegger's at the top, then there's Daylight, and then you've got Van Damme, who's got better movies than Stallone. Stallone's got a couple of huge characters, Rocky and Rambo, that you can't go past. So he's really only got five good movies in his career, and most of them are around this level. I'll still see a Stallone movie. I'm going to watch Tulsa King on Paramount because I like him, but his, his movies have, have never been great, except for a few, like maybe four or five of them. But I think, yeah, the main saving grace of this movie definitely is Michael Caine. I think that, you know, he just had that uh, aura about him. Um, you know, he played it really well. Um, you know, he was, he was for me, like the main character of the movie, um, as much as Sylvester Stallone was sort of plastered as being it. Um, and I think that, you know, like a very young Michael Caine, I know that you said that to me beforehand, Stewie, and, you know, like even when I saw him, like I didn't believe it, like that it was him. Um, and so... I think that, yeah, like a very young Michael Caine, um, you know, he did well back then. He's done well now as well. And so I think that uh, he just stole the show and um, was really impressed with his performance all around. Yep. Couldn't agree more, mate. I've actually got some casting what ifs. Um, if you if you want me to go through them now, mate. I would like you, you to go through them now. Go you've probably heard most of them considering you researched them, but uh, we're going to lay it on you anyway. You just act surprised, Jace, okay? Uh, <laughs> the movie was originally slated to star Lloyd Bridges and Clint Eastwood. Um, Sir Roger Moore was considered for uh, the role of Captain John Colbert. Colbert? Um, he wasn't the only one considered to play Colbert, though. Robert Redford was originally offered the role of Captain John Colbert. Uh, Steve McQueen was up for the role too. Um, Ryan O'Neill was considered for the role of Captain Robert Hatch. Um, Kevin oh, Costner. Yeah. Kevin Costner was uh, reportedly considered uh, for the role um, that was eventually played by Sylvester Stallone. Also, um, so there you go. Uh, it would have been an unknown Kevin Costner, I, I, I guess. Yeah, it would have been. 81. Yeah, um, yeah 1981. Um, seems like uh, early just, on. I, I don't know. That might be some some half-assed research by me there. But you know, uh, the, the problem with Michael Caine, though, is that they, they make reference to him being a current West Ham player and say, it's a Peter the Wars in your career, and he goes, interrupted. You are the sport for you. I'm Colby. Colby. That's very familiar. It's a common name. 
They're very enthusiastic. No bloody good, but very enthusiastic, yeah. And you play matches? Oh, yeah, we have a league, four divisions. We even play internationals. Internationals? Yeah. England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Oh, you call that international? Would be international if you played against Germany. <laughs> We'd murder you. Oh, 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 oh. Colby, John Colby. Yes, West Ham United and England. That's right. It's a shame the war has ended your career. Interrupted. Let's hope so. Cool line. Right, he delivers mm. it well. Yeah. But he's he's clearly 50 in this movie. And all the they all 50 made. though back then. You know, like they oh, all Matthews were... isn't no one else, but um, <laughs> like, no, if you're 15 in a PRW camp, your career's not been interrupted. You're done. Like, you're hanging out the boots. So he's clearly supposed to be a current player. And so is Max von Sydow somehow. But all the other actors you named are older than him at the time. So Robert Redford was older. Um, Roger Moore was too old to play Bond by this point. Um, it came as probably the best guy they had. I reckon Kevin Costner would have made it a much more serious movie than Sloane end up doing just I by think, being a better actor yeah i think he would have um given a bit of credence to the to the hatch character a little bit um i'm a kevin costner fan too as i'm sure many people um that are listening to this podcast and maybe even are appearing on this podcast ah but um uh, I, I, you know i I'm more likely to like a kevin costner movie simply because kevin costner is in it than yep. I am to like a movie simply because Sylvester Stallone is in it. So, yeah. Yep. I'm more um, likely to watch a movie because I want to see if it's any good with Sylvester Stallone because it might be crazy because I'm crazy shit like Stop and Roll Shoot. But mm-hmm. Costa movies are generally better. Like, even his turkeys like The Postman or Waterworld, like he takes them seriously and you can tell he's put some thought into what he wants them to be, even if they don't really work. They work better than this movie mm-hmm. does. Like I, I buy Waterworld more than I buy buy this. And this is based on a true story. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think especially like in the case of Michael Caine um, being too old. I mean, he actually uh, admitted that like the only reason, similar to I guess, um, I think was it Sylvester Stallone that I said um, wanted to be in this movie because of uh, John oh, Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, similarly to that, I guess. Um, yeah, Michael Caine admitted that the one of the reasons that he agreed to be in this movie was the opportunity to work alongside Pele. And so I think that, you know, there was a lot of that like sort of like throughout like the different actors and the different like crew of this movie that, you know, they just thought, hey, this guy's in it, I want to be in it, or like, you know, let's get this guy and then we might get this guy as well. And so, you know, like I don't know whether that like helped or hindered the actual um you know output of what this movie was you know came to be or not um you know people's like views were just that like you know it didn't really seem like they might have been invested in the movie as such just like who was in the movie or going to be in the movie um and similarly maybe it was just like you know similar to john houston just like wanting to do it for the paycheck um you know i don't know but uh you know possibly with sylvester sloan's um performance it might have been that way i don't know yeah, I think um, given the time period of this movie, 1981, I think it came out. I think there was probably a lot of people who were like, oh, 
Pele's going to be in this movie? Yeah, yeah, sign me up. I'll do it. I'll play yes. whatever role. I'll do whatever job. Um, I think there was probably a lot of that going around. Um, just finishing on this, I'll touch on a couple of the actors. Um, and this also probably tied back into, um, you know, references to history, I guess. Um, Pele's character claims to have learned how to play football kicking oranges as a child in Trinidad. Um, in real life, Pele did actually claim that he used to practice as a child by kicking fruit in Brazil. Um, so that was a bit of a nod to like his own childhood and upbringing and, you know, learning to play soccer as well. Like we sort of mentioned uh, Sylvester Stallone and like all the injuries that he sustained. This is again, bringing it back to Pele. Um, Stallone received training um, from England's World Cup winning goalkeeper Gordon Banks. Um, and initially, and Stewie, I think that you'll like this because I think that, you know, this sort of speaks a lot to Sylvester Stallone's ego, I think. Um, and so Stallone paid little attention to Banks' advice as he didn't think the training was necessarily necessary and recklessly threw himself around on the first day of filming the match. Um, eventually, he hit the ground so hard that he dislocated a shoulder and broke one of his ribs, putting him out of action for several days. <laughs> When he returned, Stallone paid much more attention to what Banks was telling him, but still sustained, sustained several minor injuries over the course of filming, including another broken rib. And Stallone actually broke one of his fingers trying to stop Pele from scoring a goal. That's not bad, Hatch. What's not bad? Using your hands. Uh, you've got feet, I've got hands. Yeah. Give me that. Get in there. Sure thing, General. Lewis. Lewis. Fire a few at him. I gotta do better than that. Come on, you guys. Just fire a minute of that. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah, here we go. Come on. Put it. Give me some balls, Charlie. Oh, you're gonna get serious now, huh? Okay, lads. Okay, guys. Come on. Fire a minute. Fire a minute. Let's go, right? Let's go. Come on. Don't be afraid of me. Oh, yeah. What? 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 Fast. Can you do it with your mouth shut, Hatch? Hey, the mouth and the hands work together. It's a team. Come on, come on, come on. Get your body behind oh, it. Come on now. Not like that, like that. Hands behind it. Pull it into the chest. Oh, where is that? Come on, Hatch. I want to see now. Let's go. Come on, right down the middle. Come on. <laughs> I thought you were my friend. I am your friend. You know, Hatch, to be honest with you, you don't kick well. You don't dribble well. But you could be a good goalkeeper. Keep trying. He's right. You're not bad. Um, and, yeah, I think just, like, from all of that, I mean, like Stallone said in a 2014 interview, um, recalling the experience of, like, shooting with Pele and the power of Pele's shots um, causing him to have a broken finger, Stallone said that it was one of the lowest moments of my life. I got my ass handed to me. I got a broken finger for attempting to stop one of Pele's shots. They were wearing World War II pleats with a steel toe, and the ball was like a cannonball, twice as thick and heavy as today's balls. Um, he said, look, I'll score a goal. You stand here, and I'm going to kick the ball there. And I thought, it's soccer. What's the big deal? It's easy. And so he kicks it first. I hear the sound of the ball. Okay, let's go again. Um, so I extend my hand out. And that's when he broke a finger. Uh, the ball tore through the net, broke the windows that were covered in barbed wire while they were shooting. And Sylvester Stallone said to himself, I'm never saying that again. 
That's a fantastic little anecdote there. Uh, no. I love hearing that. That's great. <laughs> Stallone's career is full of shit like this. He's like an ill-prepared Tom Cruise and an untalented Jackie Chan. He just he just thinks he can do this stuff, and he can't. Like, um, I think it was Rocky Four. He told Dolph Lundgren to hit him for real to make it look realistic, and he just got knocked out a whole bunch of times. But he's not. He's <laughs> he's not a guy who learns lessons. He just think he really does think he's like. He really does think he's an actual action star in real life, and he just keeps getting the shit knocked out of him all through all these 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 their evidences. He's just, he's just not he's not what he thinks he is. I, I love him. No. God bless him. Copland's a great movie. First Blood's a great movie. Rocky movies are great. He should have won an Oscar for the Creed, but I he's a he's a good actor, and he maybe should have I don't know, played Bond villains or something. I would might say he's a multimillionaire, but I'm just saying he he's not the smartest guy in the world. He has got himself KO'd and injured a bunch in his career for just being a little too over overconfident. I just don't think, like, you know, this comes back to a bit of my assessment of him now, but, like, in terms of stuff that I've found as well, like, I just don't think, like, his heart was totally in this movie at some no, time. No because, you know, there are a couple of instances that I'll tell you about now, um, you know, that sort of, you know, prove that. He apparently antagonised um, his fellow cast and crew uh, by refusing to eat with them on set and disappearing off to London or Paris every weekend on a private jet. Um, and so much so that Michael Caine actually noticed this. Um, Sylvester Stallone turning up late for filming after a while. And uh, when Michael Caine told Stallone that he had an important appointment elsewhere where, when he hadn't, um, and that Caine was going to arrive for work whenever he felt like it, Stallone always came to the set on time um, after that. And so well done, Michael Caine. But also during shooting, uh, Stallone would insist on not being called to the set unless the shot was absolutely ready to film. As um, you know, as Kieran has said a couple of times, he was shooting or writing the script for Rocky Three between takes, and so that was also where part of his mind was. Yeah, I will give him though. Um, he did lose about forty pounds for this movie because he didn't want a prisoner of war to look like an Olympic boxer. And he did feel like that weight reduction uh, was needed to perform the tasks of a soccer goalie, no matter how bad they actually were. So we'll give him props for that. But I think, like, in terms of so much else that we've talked about, um, you know, we, we just didn't like it. <laughs> I still don't even feel great about giving him props for that. Um, you know, he really rubbed me the right, he rubbed me the wrong way in this movie, Jace. Um, yeah. I'm not even giving him props about it either. I think he did that. The lost that that weight for Rocky because it's a line in Rocky 3. The whole point of Rocky 3 is he's trying to slim down and go a faster fighter. So I don't think he did it for this movie. I think he's just talking shit. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell him after that if you ever meet him. You can tell him, <laughs> you can tell him after that. You can also tell him that I think that Stop My Mom Will Shoot is rubbish. Over the top, thank you, Cash, The Specialist, Judge Dredd, Get Carter, everything except Cliffhanger, Copland. And daylight is pretty bad. I'll give him Spy Kids 3D. Actually, Spy Kids 3 is he's good in. The next question that we ask on this podcast is if there was a relatable character to in this movie. I'm struggling to properly find someone uh, for myself, but you know, Stewie Kieran, have you thought of anyone? Do you have anyone that you yeah. might relate to? Yeah, Max von Sydow. Um, no, actually, just random Nazi prison guard because I wanted to shoot Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. I knew that was going to be a hot take as soon as you said Max von Sydow. Wow. <laughs> uh, I got... 
I got nothing. I think Kira wins this segment already. Honestly, so. yeah. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Anyone who pointed a rifle at him, that's that's who you relate to, isn't it? Cool. Yeah, I don't think we can add to that. <laughs> so we'll ask our final prompt on this podcast. That is, if you could get a football movie made, what would it be and why? Um, I'm going to preference, preference this right from the start because I know that this has been a theme on episodes that we don't like and films that we don't like, you cannot recreate this movie. Go, what's your idea? Okay, so there's there's heaps of stories um, in, built into soccer, and I think if you're a, you know, if you're a soccer fan um, like Kieran and I are, um, you know, you know a lot of the famous ones. Uh, am I vamping just to just to kind of kill time until I can think of one? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm not actually. I don't know if this is one that you actually suggested already, um, Karen. But uh, maybe the story of Paul Gascoigne would be a uh, would be a fascinating one. Um, yes. You know, he had a he had a pretty pretty crazy childhood, um, yep. and then obviously the period of his life where 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 he was top of the world in in footballing terms, and then just following him after his life uh, after his life after his footballing career um it would be interesting it would be an interesting story to see uh portrayed on film yeah i'm gonna go similar i'm gonna go with the pele theme though and um he had this teammate in 58 and 62 called Gorincha, who was the opposite of pele in a way so pele is this perfect athletic specimen um tall muscular fast perfectly built came from nothing but he was genetically blessed really um Garincha was the opposite. He was, they both started off on the bench in 1958, so neither of them were getting game time at the start of the tournament. And when they came on, Brazil started blitzing everyone. So Garincha was born with polio. Doctor said he couldn't walk properly. One leg was four centimetres shorter than the other. One bent inwards, the other one bent outwards. Somehow, this guy was the fastest winger on the planet and he was the best dribbler in the world throughout his entire career. He played three World Cups, I think. And most Brazilians, old Brazilians you speak to, or most old people who watch soccer in the 60s, We'll tell you this guy was better um he just died at the age of 40 something from alcoholism but he um it's just the opposite of Pele but uh, at all time legend Brazil never lost a game when the two of them played together ever and um if you just type in his name in YouTube and you'll see stuff that no other players and he invented things that that, that like Pele did but yeah, more for fun the legend is that he didn't actually know who his opponents were each game and Pele had to tell him because he just didn't, it didn't make a difference to him he just rolled up. He called them all John and didn't care who he was playing against. It just why would he? Like he's so good. So this is like a real life superhero story. This guy who's a cripple, not meant to play, genetically just just not won the lottery like Pele did, and made the absolute most out of everything he had. Um, probably to excess, really. There's a movie made of him, but it's a fairly low budget one. I like to be like to see it get the real full Hollywood biopic treatment. Like true rags to riches story. People with polio shouldn't be winning World Cups, like not in the 60s and 50s. Like that shouldn't, that should not happen, but this guy did it. So I don't know how. Um, I'd like to see a big full budget movie made of that. And you could make it a Pele movie too. Um, he could play, uh, he could play his supportive best friend. That's what he was in real life. The two of them were very close. So um, people talk about Maradona and Pele being reunited in the afterlife. These two are as well. So I'd love to see a movie about them, the pair of them. Yeah, very good. I, my idea isn't anything based off of history. And I think that, you know, you guys might understand that in terms of you guys being, you know, the main, you know, football guys that I know. Um, and, you know, you'll have plenty more um, ideas and sort of like a 
you know, able to reference plenty more of our history, historical uh, things involving the sport. And so mine's a bit of a fun one. I remember a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was watching a YouTube video and it was of this guy taking penalty kicks against a professional goalkeeper. But the guy was uh, using a sort of, um, I think it was like a response ball type of thing. Um, or like it was a ball that like, you know, could bounce at different angles and that sort of thing. Um, so my idea is just, you know, possibly, uh, you know, doing a soccer match and then, you know, even possibly using a ball like this and just seeing how uh, many sort of like funny moments could come about um, from sort of like the different ways that, that the ball can respond um, and bounce around. And I know that in that particular video, you know, it really sort of like stumped the goalkeeper in terms of, bouncing up or bouncing at right angles and you know even I think he got a um, hit to the nose or something like that because he didn't expect the bounce up or anything like that and so I feel like that could like have a bit of hilarity in it but um, obviously also very serious because um, there's well way more uh, reason for injuries there but um, you know as we saw in Escape to Victory like Sylvester Stallone sustained many injuries while he was goalkeeping um, and that was with a normal ball. Um, and so I think that, yeah, having this sort of like response ball that can bounce at different angles, um, I think that'd be pretty cool. I don't know if you could do it for like the whole movie, but in terms of like making that the main ball that gets used in a game or something like that, um, I think it could be a little bit of fun. That sounds like great fun, then. Um, yeah, let's play in that game. Yeah, get that, get that, uh, get that movie happening. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to check it out. All right, that does now bring us to the end of the episode. So, Stuart. Kieran, would you like to share your social media handles and any other avenues or platforms where our listeners can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter um, at Stewie is sick of it. Um, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Stewie the Sports Guy. This is my podcast, man. This is what I'm doing at the moment. Um, you can read me at the Married Truth. You can read me on Edge of the Crowd from time to time. I hate to steal your thunder, Kieran, but definitely fucking. Give Kieran's article a read um, that, that uh, got posted this week. It's, it's fantastic, uh, especially for you football lovers out there. But, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me, and that's a little bit about where you can find Kieran. Why don't you fill people in on the rest, mate? Uh, I'm under my full name, Kieran Yap, on Twitter and um, probably eventually Mastodon whenever like, everyone makes the migration over there. <laughs> uh, I can also be found on Instagram at Kieran Yaps and Right with an N instead of an N. And um, I'm uh, getting active on the, the women's football Discord channels now. Um, and that's a bit of fun. But you can find me Edge of the Crowd, um, writing pretty regularly about movies and sport occasionally. And you can find me on both Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Jace Earth. You can also, like you, Stewie, uh, you know, read some of my work at The Barrier Truth and, of course, Edge of the Crowd. Um, you have been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. You can also visit our YouTube channel for video highlights after each episode. Uh, Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. And uh, yeah, you can also read any of their stories, be it sport, culture, or politics on the website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thank you for listening.